Okay. Freaking wild. Uh, we're recording. It's here. I, it is great. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, we're going to get started now. Hi, everyone. I'm Danielle Green, and I am the host of the Discuss with DG podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. Ooh, y'all, I have the honor of chatting with Brianna Jenkins today. Given the title, The Love Child of Oprah, Beyonce, and Michelle Obama, Brianna Jenkins, who uses she, her pronouns, is a public speaker, activist for the LGBTQIA+, female and people of color communities, has years of experience and has years, years of experience using her platform to evoke change. Originally from Hamden, Connecticut. Ham, did I say that right? Hamden? Hamden, yeah. Hamden, Connecticut. Brie attended Albertus Magnus College in New Haven, Connecticut, which is where she completed her undergrad as a sociology major with a concentration in social work. Love that. Brie has over eight years of experience in the nonprofit sector. She has worked for a variety of organizations where she was able to serve as a direct client support specialist, development coordinator, and is now a director of development. We love to see it. In the summer of 2020, Brianna decided to start her consulting business, Brianna Jenkins Consulting. Woo woo, quick plug, look her up. She also hosts a podcast called The Tea with Brie, where she sits and chats with a different guest every week about whatever topic the guest chooses. And I'm not saying that I'm going to be on the show, but I will be. Look out for it. Another plug. And on December 4th, 2019 she won the austin lgbt Com chamber of commerce rising star award released in february 2020 she was the subject for a documentary entitled uncomfortable spaces oh my gosh what an <laughs> intro oh my goodness you're so please, amazing sorry please. i'm screaming everyone <laughs> But I just am so excited to be with, here with you today. I can't believe that like now you're on my podcast after <laughs> I was on your podcast. Ah! Yeah, I I'm am just really excited. I'm I too very excited. I always get like awkward when people read my bio because I'm like, I do a lot, but I don't know. Do the it people for the need accolades. to know. The people so I was like, everyone's like, know. let people sing your praises. I'm like, okay, great. Um, and my friend's like, if you're gonna keep being out here killing it, you have to get used to taking this info. I'm like, you're not wrong. So it's true. All that to be said, super excited to be here, super excited to kind of return the favor question mark. You'll be on later on my show. We already recorded, but you know, timing. This is true. <laughs> um, and I'm I'm honored to be guest or episode three. Everything about threes. So oh. That's like one of my favorite yeah. numbers. Oh my God. So that yeah, was my I'm soccer number in, in high school. So there you go. I'm I'm born in March, yes. third month. Okay. I'm born the third Sunday of March. I'm born mm. on the 18th, which 18 is a it's a product of three if you do mm -hmm. multiplication. Anyway, yeah. I was born at 8 13 a.m. So I'm like, I'm just like really like on 318. It's I wild. It. I just love numerology and crap. Um, so yeah, this is your show. I'm gonna stop like <laughs> <laughs> I want you to keep talking. Um, 
But for those who don't know, which is probably everybody, Bree and I actually met through Instagram and we did get to know each other better when we recorded an episode for her podcast. Um, so that's how we met and that's why we're here today. But, you know, obviously, if you listen to the last episode, you know that I'm very much interested in talking to folks about their Black history and their families and what it was like for them growing up. And so, I mean, you heard all of Bree's accolades. And so naturally mm. I had to have her on the show because she had a very different uh, experience for me growing up. And so just want to talk about that and share that with you all and, you know, continue the conversation of how the black experience is very nuanced and is not monolithic. Okay, so to get started, Bree. I would love it if you could tell us what it was like for you growing up as a Black woman in America. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> let me clear my throat so you can have good editing quality. Hold on. <clears throat> as you quick side, as a podcast, I'm like, this is going to sound great. I'm going to make sure. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so for me, um, I talk about this a lot. So in my consulting business, I do a lot of speaking engagements about diversity, equity, inclusion, and that's what I do for my business. Um, but I always share my personal story. And so I let folks know, like I grew up in Connecticut um, in a very diverse place. I lived in Hamden, which was in New Haven County. Um, and Connecticut is in the tri-state of New York and New Jersey and Connecticut. So very diverse, a lot of different people. And so when I grew up in the nineties, I grew up super privileged. And I, and I know that, um, I grew up in a two parent household. Both my parents worked, they owned our three bedroom home, um, three bedroom, two bath. Um, my, I come from a very large family. My mom was the second oldest of five. My dad mm -hmm. is the middle of three. Um, and then also like my godparents, I'm like their fifth kid. I'm the only kid my parents had, but I'm like my godparents, my godparents, fifth kid. And even my godparents, my godmother is one of four. My godfathers think like one of seven. So like I grew oh. up in a very big family and very big extended family and like family friends and all that sort of stuff. Um, but even growing up and, and growing up like that, um, my family's from the South. My mom's side of the family's from Mississippi and Louisiana. My dad's side's from North Carolina. Um, and so I grew up and was raised by folks who had either lived before, during, or after the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. um, my grandmother, my nana, my dad's mom um, was super pro-black. I grew up in a very pro-black family. I grew up in a very black church. My godfather's a pastor. And before him, his father was the founder of our family church. And that church, um, Grandpa Hampton, as I called him, <laughs> he, um, he founded the church. And in 1971, he had been in the civil rights movement as well. And so in 1971, he started or he founded the um, Love March in honor of Dr. King. And so since 1971, our church has marched in New Haven as a remembrance of the walk, the March on Selma and the March um, in honor of Dr. Luther King. So I grew up in that march. Like I started marching when I was like five or six. Um, and even then, like, I didn't know what it meant. I just knew like my family did it. And growing up in the church with a very pro-Black, very religious family, um, the church really raised me. Like that's where I first learned that my voice as a Black woman mattered, that I was allowed to take space. And anyone who's grown in the in a church, specifically a Black church, you know, like you start singing in the choir when you're like five. Um, and then like you do all like the 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 praise dancing and, mm -hmm. and the, the holiday plays and, and all that sort of stuff. So I was given a lot of space in 
and not only given a lot of space but given a lot of encouragement and you see this a lot in the black church of like the aunties being like go ahead baby you got Mm -hmm. it and so even just having that like constant positivity and support was super important and so also being taught my whole life to constantly be paying it forward and Mm -hmm. I attribute this a lot to my godmother um, who is the kindest most important person Um, but she taught us really young when we're really young to constantly be giving back and there was a very large um, population of folks experiencing homelessness near our church and so every Sunday she made sure she had either granola bars or water or some dollars to hand out and she would constantly tell us like you give what you can and you give wholeheartedly because you don't know like this could end up being you you don't know Mm -hmm. what your life's going to look like and it is not our job to judge but to continue to help people when we can Um, and so when my mom passed when I was 15 I was a sophomore in high school she passed from cancer and it was super it was breathtaking to see how many people really rallied around me. Like I said, I come from a very large family, but it was, it didn't stop at my family it was my neighbors who had known me since I was five. It was, you know, the fact that every house on our street had a kid my age growing up. So all my friends came over. Mm-hmm. Um, it extended out to my friends, families who came to my mom's funeral. Like just all these people were really big on supporting me, teaching me how to drive, making sure I stayed out of trouble. My dad was working two jobs after my mom died. And so my neighbor, Mrs. Brady, not a joke, her real name is Mrs. Brady. <laughs> um, she gave me like one of my first jobs of like cleaning out her pool in the summer. Um, a family friend gave me my first restaurant job. And so to constantly folks just making sure like I was not, like, not that I was a quote bad kid. I just like people wanted to make sure I was okay. Yeah. And so just having all these folks really rally around me. And so, you know, growing up, like I said, and, and to backtrack, my whole hometown was really diverse. We had 40% white, 40% black, and then 20% other po- folks of color. So I wow. saw folks all the time who looked like me. Mm-hmm. My high school principal was a black man. Our, we had an assistant principal who was a black woman. We had a, one who was a Hispanic woman, teachers who were black women. Like I just had so much representation and so many folks on the staff who really not only cared about the student, but how it kind of expanded out. Mm-hmm. Um, at, during high school, after my mom passed, we had therapy for students who had lost parents. And so I was able to be in a support group for for, fo- for folks who lost parents. So growing up super privileged, really supported and, and from a very pro-Black religious family that constantly taught me that my voice mattered. And so as I got older and was able to start my career as a sociology major in college and then doing sociology and nonprofit work the last like eight years, um, being able to constantly hear in the back of my voice, you belong, you have a right to be here, you can stand up for yourself. Um, and that was, that's was that been really important in my career moving forward. I'm typically the only black person on mm-hmm. staff. And so I, there's a lot of representation that I, I hold, especially here in Austin with Austin being only about 8% black really being representation, a representative for black, for the black community. Um, Mm -hmm. Now the black queer community, a lot of the time um, and having either left jobs or been let go from jobs (laughs) because I feel like I wasn't supported. There was one Mm -hmm. job I got let go of and I know, I know it was because I was causing some internal turmoil. And by that, (laughs) I mean, like, it was like a really big age gap between like the age groups. Mm -hmm. And so like I went and worked at a tech company, which was like my first tech job. And I just didn't like how everything was very like, it was my first time working with mostly cisgender, hetero, Mm -hmm. white men. Mm -hmm. And the way they treated a lot of the women and a lot of the younger staff members was like, not okay with me. And I constantly said something. And there was this one girl I asked like, 
how much are you getting paid? And she was like, I'm really not comfortable talking about the HR. I'm like, that's fine. I just want to know like what's going on. She was problematic and I don't like her. But <laughs> I had, like, I was asking those questions of like, what is this pay difference? Because I had folks who had, who were younger than me making significantly less money. Yep doing better work than this girl who was about my age, but I was doing half of her job and she was still making ridiculous amounts of money. Yep. And so that's always super important to me. Like I'm a big believer in making all space equitable and making Mm -hmm. all space inclusive and not just inclusive to check off boxes, but inclusive because you literally want your company to be better. So I think that's, that's my my spiel. (laughs) Um, amazing. I, I also just have to jump in and say that Oprah was a really big person in my life. She still is, but I feel like I can't tell that story without talking about Opes. So, so I mean, yes, Opes and Gabrielle Union. We'll we'll circle back to those two, but like that representation of the two of them and yes. Whitney. I mean, I guess the three. Um, but just to constantly see those three black women really mm-hmm. out here doing their thing and and not apologizing for it um, was super important and who I am too. Okay. Yes. No, I mean, absolutely. Thank you so much for saying that. Um, wow. I just, I'm like, I don't even know where to go from here. (laughs) Like there were so many things there that we can talk about. Um, gosh, I mean, obviously your experience with, you know, your family and your community have shaped you into the person you are today, which is so incredible. Um, I guess something I do kind of just want to touch on now is, you know, what are, what are some struggles that you've faced? I mean, obviously as black women, we face so many struggles, but I would just love to just, you know, to hear that side of your story. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think like to start just professionally, Eh, no, we won't start there. I think we'll start with being raised where I was raised Mm -hmm. and I think so someone recently asked like when was the first time you think you experienced racism and I literally had to sit with it because like I grew up in a place that was super diverse so it Mm -hmm. wasn't like a thing that popped out immediately um but I think the first time I experienced racism was when I was in first grade and I only ever think about this because my friend Derek who I've known since I was five constantly brings this up every time I see him um but we were in first grade and we we're doing like the multiplication test that you like as a time test you have like that sheet of paper I can see it perfectly yep. right now um and so like I being Jenkins like sat at, like the like the front of the room if you will or like the beginning of the room air quotes and so like our teacher's handing out the test and I didn't hear her say wait until all the tests are passed out and so she gave me the paper and by the time she was done passing on to everyone else I had already finished so Mm -hmm. we're talking like 30 seconds to a minute your girl (laughs) knew her times tables um but I raised my hand I was like okay I'm done and this teacher Mrs. Bradford I still remember her um she had like a bowl cut not the point anyway um she was so mean not she the most so important part of the story so but I just mean. feel like it like could we take the story without no. knowing that she had a bowl cut she had a bowl cut and like she wasn't married which doesn't matter but now that I'm like older and like 30 I'm like how old was she because I thought she was mm. old then doesn't matter she probably wasn't Getting on top. okay keep going Sorry. um so by the time she finished passing them out I raised my hand told her I'm done and she goes I told you to wait. Gosh, you people are always cheating. 
And first grader me didn't understand that, right? Like, what do you, what do you mean? Like I did, I did the assignment. I obviously did it in less time than you thought it would take. It's like, I sit with that now. I'm like, that was totally racist, right? You people, you people. I mean, and then then, cheating. Oh gosh. Correct. And then I think my first microaggression was still the same school we had a gym teacher. I want to say Mr. Zapati, if I'm not mistaken, if that's correct, my memory is great. Um, but I can see him perfectly. Anyway, um, we're in gym class and it was like the first day of gym in first grade or kindergarten and literally all through elementary school. So my elementary school was kindergarten through sixth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and he called me Brianna purposefully. My name's Brianna spelled with a no, but the microaggression there was like, you knew that my, you know, my name is Brianna. Why do mm-hmm. you feel the name to constantly quote, tell me my name is spelled wrong. And act upon it like the microaggression of that um and so I think that that's a thing too and then as I've gotten older and come out and like f- f- listeners are going to get real close real, real quick I was a virgin until I was 22 23 mm-hmm. my senior year of college sure um and so after like that and then like really like coming into my sexuality essentially and last year I did a 30th birthday shoot and I was naked aside from having <laughs> flowers in front of me and it was a really big conversation for me and my nana the, the my uh, we're, I'm very close with both of my grandmothers um but she I forgot that we were Facebook friends and <laughs> she texts me and she goes your birthday photos are beautiful but I just want to know like why you felt the need to show your body to the entire mm-hmm. internet and I called her back and I, I called her and I was like nana I I get your concern I do I'm like but as a black woman in this country Uh, this was my chance to reclaim my body having Mm -hmm. heard for so long like we have we can we can trace our family back to enslaved folks we Mm -hmm. can talk about the racism and oppression we faced in my family um black people in this country specifically um and how black women are still over sexualized how we're still seen as property and things to like take Mm -hmm. and um even we see this in rap too and like not to be that person but we saw how big WAP was last year and how many people tore apart that song but if you think about it we hear men talk about sex all the time specifically black men Mm -hmm. we have white female rappers saying stuff about rap we have songs from like the 80s and 90s talking about people having sex um but for Megan and Cardi my dear close personal friends um (laughs) to (laughs) to have talked best friends not her last night um for them to talk about it and reclaim their bodies and have a video like this I think was just I saw it as a reclamation of who we who we are who we've been taught to be and not to be and we see this too in like you know uh I can't think of the name right now but like how uh like black fishing there we go Mm -hmm. or like Mm -hmm. a lot of these folks who aren't black on Instagram and in music videos um, will essentially culturally appropriate blackness, right? Yep. Like having curvier body parts, essentially your butt, um, lip fillers, you know, darker skinned. The hairstyles. The hair, if I see one more white person with dreads, that's all. Um, uh, mm, we'll, we'll circle back. I will come back to that. Lots to say. So, um, so, so, so we see this all the time and I think for me, since turning 30 and 
you know, I've taken the last year to like not date. I haven't had sex. I've been like really like a celibate person of just like really reestablishing who I am outside mm-hmm. of relationships. Um, but this last year of like really just being so pro-black, so pro-female, so, so pro-queer as a person mm-hmm. who's in this community. And I didn't come out till I was 26 and I didn't come out till later in life because A, I guess I never really had the language. Like I'd always thought women and folks who were, you know, now that I know the words, like who were gender non-conforming were attractive. I just didn't know what that meant. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and also trans, but we also didn't have like that language when I was younger. Um, And so being able to move and be 26 and be in this new place and come out and have my family still be super supportive. um, That's been a big thing too, of like, what does it mean for me to be queer and having conversations with, you know, I was dating someone a couple of years ago and he was a trans man and but like people didn't know that and it wasn't mm-hmm. I'm not gonna out him right I guess I just did but I wasn't at the time um <laughs> and you know people being like oh like you're dating men again so you're straight and I'm like that's not how that works like no matter who I date I'm still queer right mm-hmm. like my partner does not I might be in a hetero appearing relationship but you don't know how we both identify and so right. Um, and then I dated someone who's non-binary and having that conversation with folks. And so I think also the last couple of years of, of really establishing who I am in my queerness, even if I am to end up with a cis hetero man and cisgender, for those who don't know, is you identify with the gender you were assigned at birth. So like me, I'm a cisgender female. I was assigned female at birth and I identify as female. Um, and then heterosexual man, a guy or a person who dates women um so if I end up with a cisgender hetero man that's doesn't take away from my queerness so Mm -hmm. I think that's a long-winded way of answering (laughs) your question no that was so good and again so much there so much to talk about um something that I did want to ask is you know and you kind of you did kind of touch on this um so it probably won't like require a long answer but you know when you came out as queer you said that your family supported you. Um, was there anything else that was difficult around that time? You know, I just, I think, you know, black and queer are still very, you still just like, mm-hmm. don't really see much represent, like rep, much representation there. Like I still, yeah. it's feel like it's still very white. Yeah. Um, I think for me, when I came out, I, so I had this very big thing about being people pleasy and, and even for example like when my mom passed I got my license and I got her car so I was the first person in my friend group to get their license and have a car mm-hmm. um and all my friends had curfews but my dad but my dad never gave me one but I was still home by like 10 30 every night so I'm like I'm very I was like I was I've just always been like this very like stay between the lines this mm-hmm. is it and so me moving and coming out was like my first time like mm. <laughs> stepping outside those like ridiculous lines I put myself in and yep. my my aunt Kathy and I are very close and so when I was thinking of moving here, I was like, I just feel like it's so selfish. Like I'm leaving everyone. She goes, you have never done anything for yourself. You went to college one town over so you could still be close to family. You take jobs. She goes, you haven't, I, this was my first move out of Connecticut was moving here. And so I think that gave me so much permission to just be me and to live as authentically as I wanted. And so that was really important to me. Um, but I, you're right. Queerness is still very much associated with whiteness. And so mm-hmm. I think for me to, to be able to out myself often and and you know I it's in all of my things like black queer woman trying to make Oprah proud is like my tagline for everything <laughs> and 
and I hold on to that deeply, deeply. And, you know, even before I came out, like I've been an ally of the LGBTQA plus community my whole life. My best friend who I've known since I was 12, John, he came out his senior year of college. My friend Derek, um, when he was younger, we, I thought he was gay and I don't know where he falls right now in his, in his Mm -hmm. identity. Um, But he was like my, my first like example of just unadulterated love. Like my mom was even, she would, he, Derek would call my house to talk to my mother. Like he was like her second child. Like they were so close that I would, I, and it was interesting. So like when she passed, like Derek and I, like it was hard for both of us. Like he was, mm. she was her child as well. Um, and so like having even like my mom just be like so loving on him and, mm. and just not care and coming from such a religious background. Yeah. Um, and so, I, and, and then obviously coming out to my godparents, their son Kennedy came out, my godbrother, um, and they were like, great, love you. And so mm-hmm. to talk to my godfather now and have an uncle who's his brother, like who's still vehemently against the LGBTQIA plus community and what that has meant for our family, um, it's been super interesting. And my godfather's like, listen, you're my kids. I love you. God teaches us, Jesus teaches us about love. And mm-hmm. so it's been interesting for me the last few years of like really questioning my religion because mm-hmm. I was taught by my godfather like religion is about the relationship you have with god or jesus right Mm -hmm. like that's your personal relationship and then religion goes outside of that like you can share that relationship and be in relationship and community with others who also have that Mm -hmm. and so like this whole thing about religion being so divisive and judgmental and um how people use it as a weapon is something I've never understood and so for me to identify as a christian has been embarrassing and disheartening especially as a black queer person who's religious mm-hmm. and so like I, I call myself spiritual I say I believe in Jesus and a higher power and also I believe in like the universe and things happening cosmically mm-hmm. um, but I was like for me to, to to identify as a Christian is something that's really difficult for me because of how people use it yep. um, and then also like being in spaces that are queer I talk to people all the time of like the queerness isn't just for white people right? And we see this like in gender identity and gender expression and sexuality um, of, of, of diversifying that space too. And I think over the last few years, like to see so many Black or in people of color who are queer has been super important. I mean, we have, um, we had Pose, we mm-hmm. have so um, my future wife, Lena Waif, um, or <laughs> Tessa Thompson. I'm also waiting for Tessa. We'll, we'll circle back. Yep. Um, Janelle Monet, um, Frank Ocean, um we have uh all these directors and people uh what is billy porter protect billy porter Um, at all costs at all laverne cox like we've seen so much representation Mm -hmm. over the last few years but i mean for a long time we didn't have that and so i think it is we definitely seen a resurgence in in black people black queer people specifically creating opportunities and space for us Mm -hmm. um and, and showing the next generation of Black queer folks that you have every right to be here, to take up space, to live your wildest dreams. I just like feel like I need to take a second and just sit with everything you just said. Oh, it's so good. And I'm so excited for everyone to be listening <laughs> to this. I just, I feel like I learn, I learned so much from you and I'm so excited for um, um my listeners <laughs> I like, can't even say that seriously um to learn from you so I kind of because I one feel the same way I want to touch on 
you know, being a black uh, Christian in this space, um, you know, like I too have said, like, it is embarrassing to like identify as a Christian right now. And um, that's something that I've like really, really struggled with over the last year. Um, Just seeing the non-response or just a really disappointing response from you know, the big church. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I would love to, if you want to talk more about that, I'd love to have that discussion because I think it's really important. Um, and it's not something that I, uh, talk about too publicly because I do still have a lot of people who like very much identify as Christian and I don't want to be disrespectful, but also mm-hmm. like, I want to be honest, <laughs> but uh, I'm struggling. Yeah we can for sure you know me I'll talk about anything um <laughs> I think it mm, so there's this one pastor that I love aside from my godfather shameless plug um <laughs> but there's other this other pastor who I listen to his sermon every Sunday mm-hmm. um, his name is Stephen Furtick he hosts Elevation Church in mm-hmm. South Carolina don't I quote me North Carolina one of the Carolinas um <laughs> and I think so for me to grow up like in a very Baptist church, like he just preaches, like I'm used to people preaching mm. and, but he's also like not one of those like televangelists that are problematic. And one of his sermons I recently listened to <clears throat> was talking about people who use religion as a weapon mm-hmm. and to hear a pastor in that position of power say that, like it gave me chills. I'm probably going to cry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just so moving to mm-hmm. finally like hear that and get that validation and and have someone call it out right yeah. and he shared this story slash dad joke of like this woman who hadn't been in church in a while who like was wearing like quote inappropriate clothes to church and the pastor being like you can't wear this um to the ch- to church and she came back a couple more times wearing the same outfit and the pastor kept getting more and more angry and he goes I told you to like go home and talk to God about coming to this church in this outfit. And what did he say? And she goes, God said he's never been to your church. Oh. And it was like just this like this this joke slash story that resonated with me so much because I have been to churches that there there God isn't there. Mm-hmm. It's just people in positions of power using that power how they want to yield it. Yep. And so like I think that's the thing that a lot of people get scared to question or mm-hmm. you just have people who leave churches and you don't know why but you you're for me churches was church was always a place to like come worship be in community feel better hope that it brings something to someone's life and then you like you sit with that for the week until the next week rolls around right like yeah. it's just faith is just such a big thing that you have to like keep really personal and so it's for people to come out and want to be sharing in their faith together and then have that kind of destroyed by a pastor who was just so cruel. It was just something I've never really understood. And so I'm, I'm really open to having this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that resonates with me so much. I, most people listening at this point probably know that I went to a very big church in Waco, um, predominantly white. I won't say the name, but everyone knows. Um, just because I'm not, I'm not there. I don't know. Okay. I went to Antioch. There are so many Antiochs all over the world and country. And, um, you know, 
when I, so I started going my freshman year after people would be like, Antioch's a cult, don't go. And I was like, that's so mean. Why would you say that? Jokes on me, but we'll get back to that later. Um, and it was just this place where I was like, I felt like I had to fit in. I felt like I had to, you know, just everything about myself. Like I had to put it aside mm-hmm. because like, I wanted so badly to be part of this community. And, you know, I was like coming from Germany. So it's just like a whole thing. I was like, I just need somewhere where I belong and people like me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, stayed all four years of college and even after college, but I just remember like around, uh, Trump's election in 2016 I was like like (laughs) record scratch all of it pause I was like oh my gosh what am I doing where am I you know like these folks that I thought like cared about me you know supporting someone who was against everything I was against everything I believed in it was just it was so hurtful and I think that that was kind of the start for me of like what, like, what, what is this church Mm -hmm. that I'm like, I don't know, like that I'm supporting, what is this, you know, like religion that I'm part of, like, what, what am I doing? And yeah. So I don't know, for me, I just think that I've had a lot of struggles the last few years with Christianity as a whole and like, particularly the last year with just people being really bold. Mm -hmm. really bold and I don't even really know what I'm trying to say but basically I'm just like (laughs) I think one thing too about about religion is so sidebar really into really in the true crime and cults not the point of this right now but um, I think one of the things about religion is we are expected to just believe everything that comes from the past or the pulpit without Uh question yep And so I think for me to grow up with a godfather who was a pastor and for him to constantly tell us, like, question everything, like Mm. the Bible is so outdated. The Bible is taken as it is like it was written way back in the day. I also have a thing about like the Bible wasn't written by God or Jesus. It's just an account. And so it's also a thing I sit with anyway. Right. but for him to tell us like question everything like you you don't have to believe what i tell you a mm. and b like you were able to also question god like you don't you god's god is big enough for your questions everything you're right. going to ask him isn't going to make you a bad person um and like all about retribution and we can grow and forgive and all these different things and so to hear and see different spiritual places and churches and things of that nature be so black and white mm-hmm. and and for you to feel like you had to assimilate for lack of a better term yep. in order to be accepted is the exact issue that I have with churches specifically yeah. like mega churches is right. that you are expected to just literally fall in like sheep and yep. get in where quote get in where you fit in and take it as it is yeah I mean that was exactly my experience you know and I remember um, after college, you know, still attending the church, but yeah, having these really big questions or like seeing people like older people, like leaving and, you know, hearing people in the church, like, oh, like they're lost, you know, like whatever you want to say about folks who like decided to like 
go live their lives and do something mm-hmm. else. Like there's this, yeah, there's this assumption that like, well, if they're not here, then they're like not really following Jesus or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I struggled with. Like when I moved to Denver, like Denver doesn't have an Antioch, you know, people were like, oh, oh, are you is Antioch in Denver? And I was like, nope. Like, <laughs> and that's exactly why I came here. I was like, I I have to believe that I can find God outside of this like mm. church building. Like I have to believe that Jesus is not just residing in Antioch in Waco, Texas, but that's, that's mm. how it felt for me. It felt like they had like, they had all the answers. They had like the cornerstone on what being a Christian is, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and it took me so, so long, like years, um, in therapy to, to, you know, unravel myself from like, yeah, just this place and this identity that I'd had. And, um, it was just such an odd, such an odd experience. I feel like odd is the only way that I can describe it <laughs> respectfully. Well, you, for, for you to even, for you to say like you had to learn that this isn't only where Jesus is, is so important. Like, yeah. I remember growing up and people were like, well, if they're not here, they're not experiencing God's love. And I'm like, do mm-hmm. you think you, that's mm-hmm. not, that's exi- that's exactly the opposite of what y'all have taught me my whole life. Like <laughs> right. church is a, is a place to be in community. But I was like, I'm also a big believer that if Jesus was alive now, he would be preaching on corners. He would be with folks who are marginalized. He'd yep. be working at soup kitchens. He'd be helping sex workers. He'd be at the gay club doing karaoke um and this is like I just I just from and I think that's because like that's a lot of how I have lived my life like right someone messaged me in my dms the other day who I don't follow who follows me doesn't matter not the point um but he was like this is a beautiful photo but how are you making Oprah proud and it was very much like a fishy comment I didn't respond I know that face it face exactly um (laughs) But I think for me, like my whole life, people have just always been like, you're just like such this light, like you're just like this light person who's super energetic and who just brings people in. And the scripture of like, let the light so shine before man that mm-hmm. they like basically may see Jesus's love. And I, and I didn't really sit with that until like maybe a couple of years ago. And I was like, I think people just see every or know everything I've gone through and this fact that I'm still like this genuinely happy person mm-hmm. in spite of things that were literally sent to destroy me. Yeah. And I'm still able to be this very positive person. And it's like, because A, I always tell people like, I've, I have people who pray for me. Like I mm. know a lot of the shit that I've been able to do is because my godmother, my grandmothers, my aunts, like mm-hmm. people pray for me. And I am so grateful for that. I also have worked my ass off and I also have a very strong faith. Um, it might not be like everybody else's faith, but it is strong right. and it is mine and it is good. And I think for me, like I had to learn that. Um, and being able to like share that out in the world, doing all these different things has been super beneficial for me. And I hope for other people who have, who've seen me and I'm, I'm a big person in representation. So I always say like, if one person can see me and know mm-hmm. that I, what I've gone through and like gives them the permission to share their story or to live their life fully, then that's all that I need yep. in my life. Um, so, so that's also like a really big thing I think about when I think of religion is like constantly paying it forward, but also showing people that Jesus is everywhere. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so beautiful (laughs) so beautiful oh my goodness yes I that resonates with me so much I just yeah a lot of like who I believe Jesus is I just wasn't seeing it like 
in the church. And uh, that was really confusing and hard, but completely agree. I'm like, I just, I want to love people. Um, I don't want to force anything on anyone. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I'm really glad that we went there today, that we talked about <laughs> that. I just think it's so important. And I, I hope that this conversation gives somebody, like you said, permission to ask questions to, you know, I don't just explore like, what does your faith mean to you? You know, um, yeah, to just not feel like it has to look a certain way or that they have to stay within, you know, certain yeah. boundary lines, whatever. Um, so yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for having me. I was really excited to chit chat. I'm excited that you're doing, doing this show. Um, I think it's going to be super beautiful and I've really enjoyed this conversation. I have two. Oh, I feel like there's so many more things that I want to talk about, but honestly, I'll probably just have you back. Um, I said I will gladly come back. Don't worry. Okay, great. Well, um, that's all for today's episode of Discuss with DG. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Discuss with DG to see what's upcoming. Um, and I have a website that you can visit, discusswithdg.com. If you want to be a guest, you can do that. Um, until next time. Thanks so much, everyone. Bye.